Greetings, ladies and gents, and welcome to this daily science fiction extravaganza, commonly known as Tales, Tales from Outer from space. Out, space. Out, space. Taken from the subreddit HFY, all the relevant links will be down below. And, as always, I hope that you enjoy, and if you do, please consider supporting the channel. On to the science fiction. Story number one, Six Semper Tyrannus, written by Anphicodius. Many say the four horsemen will come to herald the end of times. In truth, they have passed through already, long ago, before humans even reached the stars. The four horsemen ruled them as kings. Their names were famine, war, pestilence, and death. The four horsemen were tyrants, cruelly rooting over their subjects against their will. This was their mistake. Tyrants must die. It is the way of history. So too did it happen to the four horsemen. For through their cruelty they created a resistance. The men of the pen and the men of the test. This was their fate. The first they slew famine, the slow. He delighted in the long punishments. As he rode, the earth dried up beneath him. Livestock fled or died, and crops withered. His victims knew that without water or food they would perish, but not quickly. Famine would watch and laugh on the hilltops as they grew ever more skeletal. Their belly swelled, and they eventually died. For centuries, humanity had to suffer his rule, but then the men of Test came. They dug irrigation channels that bring back the water to the soil. They developed pesticides to protect crops against disease. They even modified the plants themselves to be stronger, bigger, more efficient. Meanwhile, the men of Penn set up granaries and systems of trade. They connected the world through large network, so that food could easily be transported from those that had too much to those that had too little. Together, step by step, they reversed the chaos that famine had sown. Every year, fewer people fell victim to the hunger and thirst. Every year, fewer children grew up malnourished. Every year, famine grew weaker. Gradually and slowly, as slow as the torment that he had enjoyed afflicting upon his subjects, he disappeared. In the end, his death was barely noticed. Famine was but a distant memory. And the first victory by men at the pen and test was almost unappreciated. After famine, they dethroned war, the popular. He was not less cruel than his brothers, but unlike them, he could inspire. People cheered for him. Some even served him directly. The men of the sword. War would ride across the countryside, burning and pillaging, taking parents from their children and the children from their parents. Yet, even as he did this to them, the men of the sword would praise him. They did not see his destruction. They saw only what they perceived as everlasting glory. War drew his power from these followers. As such, he was mostly defeated by the men of the pen. They wrote, composed, and painted all with the purpose of opening people's eyes, to show them the true war, to show them not polished metal and triumphant victories, but blood-soaked cloth and mangled bodies. 
For ages, they battled with him. Every time the men of the pen had a small victory, war would lay down for a while and the men would forget. They would forget all that they had learned, all their ancestors had seen. Then war would come back and they all rushed to join his following. Often, he would even sway some of the men of the pen. Eventually, however, war made a mistake. He overreached. He had become greedy and took too much at once. The men of the pen spread the news of the horrors across the globe. The men of the test made sure that these would never be forgot. The scale tipped and war began to lose. Men began to make treaties, not war. They traded knowledge, goods, and culture, and as the world grew ever more connected, war became less and less feasible. The youth no longer joined the men of the sword, and the old and stubborn died. By the time the last former enemy shook hands beside the conference table, war was universally scorned. War was powerless now. His might had come from the men of the sword, and the men of the sword are no more. However, he is not dead. Should men ever waver, should they forget what they did in the past, they would once again be ruled by a cruel tyranny, and the men of the pen would have to battle him once more. While the men of the pen fought war, the men of the test fought pestilence, the ghastly. Pestilence in many ways took after his brother Famine, but as the younger was less predictable. Men fled wherever he stood foot, but never did they know their fate should they be too slow. Some died quick, painless deaths, some suffered decades, some did not die at all. Pestilence killed, tortured, and disfigured, but now he does no more. The men of the test chased him across the globe. They learned his tricks, his thousand forms. They cured his victims or lessened their pain. Soon, Pestilence dared no longer set foot on large parts of the globe. He hid in the jungle, preyed on the weak. Only occasionally would he venture out. But the men of the test pushed him back every time. They pushed on. Soon the last plague that he had left behind outside of his hiding spots were beaten. But pestilence had learned from war. Men forgot. They forgot the suffering of their parents. They forgot cruelties long past. Who had ever died of measles? Was it not the men of the test who did the most harm? Soon these lies spread. The pestilence returned. But the men of Penn would not allow it. They vanquished the lies and retort men what they had forgotten. Soon pestilence retreated, but men of the test chased him, and this time broke into his hiding spots. In a distant patch of trees, far from the former subjects, he passed once more forgotten. The only one now left was death, the cunning. He was the cleverer of his brothers, cleverer and subtler. He did not engage in flashy performances of power. Instead, he followed behind the other horsemen, lurking in the shadows, weaving himself into the humans' lives. He became a background noise, a normal occurrence. Humanity had not even recognized him as a foe. One could not be death. He would always just be there. No, said the men of the pen. Famine, war, and pestilence had perished, their shadows with them, and now death stood in the light. They saw him. All of you must go. Humanity turned to death. Indeed, they thought, why did we tolerate him? This was the signal. The men of the test charged. 
Without his brothers to assist him, Death was weakened. Still, the battle was fierce. Death repelled every attack of the men of the test, but they dulled his blades. One by one, they tossed them aside, until eventually only his sword, Age, remained. Successive hits stretched it longer and longer until one final blow it shattered. Death fell back with the men of the test towered over him, victors. They raised their weapons to end him at last, but the men of the pen held them back. Death need not die, they explained. Some may desire his service to dull their pain, to take their grief. It is their choice. You must let them have it. The men of the test agreed, and so together they bound death so that he could no longer chase the unwilling. All his blades, save one, were taken and destroyed. The last one was sharpened to a finish, so as to be quick and painless. And with its help, he serves humanity to this day. Story number two. Humans are weird. Silent screams. Other than the near-universal desire to keep useful items ordered and readily available, no, I do not know of any particular human proclivity for storage compartments, Ninth Sister said. The winged commander sighed and ran his wing hooks over the sensory horns. Ninth Sister felt his feet grip her shoulder as he stiffened. Perhaps you should come and observe this phenomenon for yourself, he suggested. You can predict this behavior, Ninth Sister asked. Under certain conditions, yes, he replied. The human in question is currently in her courtly review and will demonstrate the behavior quite nicely if her pattern holds. We should be able to observe it from the round table at the cafe. Ninth Sister took the hint and strolled over to the table. The server, a respectably sized human who only came to her antennae tips, came out to take their order and returned back into the establishment. The winged commander flitted up to the crossbeams that supported the solar shade and hung with its beady little eyes pointed at the door of the administration office. The server brought out the chilled nectar for Ninth Sister and a dish of protein crystals for the winged commander. He flitted down to the table to snatch one up and held it in between his needle-like teeth as they waited. Ninth Sister dipped her siphon into the refreshing drink and watched with mild interest as the protein crystal began to form a red froth around the winged's teeth. The froth crept out over the covered lips before his tongue flicked out and began licking it. You know, the humans consider that habit one of the most terrifying, she observed. One of the many reasons they call us howl bats, he goggled back at her. Her antennae flexed down and wiped the mandible in disgust, and she barely managed to contain the reaction. Fortunately, the wings seemed not to understand that gesture and kept happily licking the froth from his lips. He had finished the first crystal and started on the second when the door of the administration room opened. A single human stalked out. It was one of the newer resident professors, a mid-sized female with light golden coloration and a pigmentless eyes the humans called blue. Ninth Sister tilted her head curiously at the woman. She was clenching a notebook tightly in one hand. She came just far enough out of the administration room for the door to cycle shut and then her chest expanded in a particular mammalian behavior. The fleshy lids blinked over her eyes several times, and then she abruptly turned and strode along the wall of the building complex. Now you will see it, the winged commander said with a smug note in his voice. There she goes. 
And you say she was simply engaging in her courtly assessment? Nine Sister asked. I am sure of it, the winged said. As a commander, I have access to the schedule. Yeah. That is in fact a supply storage facility, Nine Sister said as the human opened the door and stepped in. Perhaps she simply needs to get supplies. After every quarterly assessment, the wing demanded, and she never leaves there with anything that she didn't take in there with. Silence. Nine Sister suddenly snapped, her brawl flaring and her antennae perking up. In an instant, Nine Sister was on her feet and bolting across the green space towards the storage compartment. The wing commander took off after her as she managed to grab onto her kilt. What's got in your horns? he demanded. Can't you hear that? she hissed. Hear what? the wing commander asked. It must be too low for you to register, Nine Sister said. Her long, loping strides had taken them to the door of the storage area, and Nine Sister yanked the door open and called out, Human! Nine Sister stopped and glanced down at the wing commander with a feeling of consternation as she realized she didn't know the human's name. Professor Nowak, the wing commander supplied helpfully. Professor Nowak was crouched in the floor in the storage space. She had snapped her head around when Nine Sister opened the door and was staring at them with her eyes wide that the whites were clearly visible all the way around her irises. Her notebook was clenched between her teeth and the rear claw of a low scream was tapering off. Would you like to come join us, Professor Nowak? Nine Sister asked. Professor Nowak disengaged her jaw with a visible effort of the muscles along the neck and fell back on her padded hips. She stared quietly at them for a moment before closing her eyes, tossing her head back and bursting out into laughter. I did I make you worried, friends, she said. I'll admit that some concern was when I heard you screaming. Ninth Sister admitted. A little help up, the human screamed, holding up to her hand. Nine Sister reached out her hand and braced her rear legs to pull. The winged commander flitted over and made a show of pouring up the human's thumb. The human laughed and stood with Nine Sister's help. A joker you are, Professor Noak said. I suppose you want an explanation for why I'm hiding in a storage locker screaming my lungs out. I, for one, would appreciate it, Nine Sister said. Well, thanks for coming to check on me, the human said, but it's nothing serious. I had my courtly today, you know. I am aware, Nine Sister said. Well, I get, the human squinted as they stepped out into the natural light. Overly anxious about it, so I deal with it by over-prepping. Keeps me focused, like... That sounds reasonable, Nine Sister agreed. But I always over-prepare, Professor Nuwak went on. So I come out here, and I have all that extra nervous energy builds up, and nowhere to spend it productively. So I just find a nice, quiet space and scream the rest of it off. Perfectly normal, I. She flashed her teeth at them and then turned to jog off towards the research officers. Is it? The wing commander asked. Is it what? Nine Sister asked. Perfectly normal to find a human curled up in a corner screaming, he clarified. I do not know, she replied. And that, my friends, concludes this dose of science fiction fun. I hope that you enjoyed and if you did, please don't forget to support the author from the link down below. But if you want to support this channel, there are links as well down below for you to help with. But the easiest way would be to share this video. And if you are so inclined, subscribe as well. I will see you all in the next episode. And I hope that you all have a fantastic time until then. 
Cheers.